Hi, I'm Brad Parker, the attorney you want but hope you never need. And this is another edition of Bar Talk, the musings of attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. A podcast by people who don't have to be famous, they just have to be interesting. Each episode will tackle topics big and small, and sometimes tiny, faced by attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other fascinating people who know every day you wake up, it's a good day. But it takes a little more to make it a great one. got another edition of Bar Talk today. I'm Brad Parker, lawyer you want but hope you never need. And this is the musings of lawyers, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. And today I'm honored to have my good friend Phil Farco here. Phil is an entrepreneur and he's damn interesting too. I think you'll find out in a few minutes. But uh, I met Phil through his son, Steve Farco, and the mayor of Bedford, Jim Griffin. Uh, Phil runs a business called Mason Dallas here in Euless and has run it since 1978. Phil, won't you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Phil Farco. Uh, my business is Mason Dallas. Um, we're located, as uh, Brad said, in Euless, Texas. Uh, we incorporated in October of 1978. <clears throat> as you can tell by my accent, I'm not Texan. Um, I came from a small town, little northeast of uh, in in East Texas, little northeast uh, of uh, Longview, called New York City. <laughs> yeah. Just a little east of there, just a little bit. Uh-huh. What is what does Mason Dallas do? Uh, well, to start out, we were in totally the vibration control business. We prevent equipment, moving equipment, pumps, compressors air conditioners, from shaking buildings. You need to understand that all mechanical equipment, rotating, reciprocating equipment, vibrates. And the vibrations create energy that's transmitted to the structure. So what we do is put in a resilient material that acts as a filter to minimize the amount of energy from that piece of equipment from getting into the structure. And we do this by introducing anything from simple rubber pads to rubber mounts, spring mounts, and even air springs. And air springs are kind of the pinnacle of isolation. That's as close as you're going to get to a body, a free body floating in space where there's no mechanical connection between the equipment and the structure. So it's just a spring, in essence. It's... uh, well, it's a bladder bag filled with air like you see on the trucks. Ah. You see the cabs of the trucks are yep. isolated to help the, the bumping of the road from, from wearing out the driver's kidneys. You yeah. know? <laughs> Do they have that stuff on heavy equipment too now? Uh, some. Yeah. Some. They actually have it on commercial dryers also and washers. Um, well, so, so your projects are you're, – you're not doing homes and, and uh, apartment buildings. You're, you're doing major construction, commercial construction areas. That's, that's correct. You know, things like uh, Windsphere Opera House, Meyerson Concert Hall, uh, Murchison Center, Performing Arts Center up at UNT, um, Cowboy Stadium, Cowboy Headquarters, the, the uh, Ford Complex, um, we did uh, Radio Shack headquarters, Pier 1 headquarters, the Bass Buildings. The Bass Buildings were the two towers in Fort Worth were the first job I did in Fort Worth. 
and that was about 83 or 84, the first major, major job. Now, how big of a company is Mason Dallas? Not revenue-wise, but just uh, uh, people that work there. Well, we're about uh, 14 people. But the way my uh, business plan is set up, uh, we have strategic partners throughout the state of Texas and in Arkansas. So what, what is a strategic partner? It's a firm that's just like ours. They're an independent rep agency. And what we do is we feed them quotations and we design product and we handle any problems that they have. <clears throat> and all they are are eyes and ears on the road. They, they know their customers, so they sell our products. So we have them in Austin, San Antonio, Lubbock, the Valley, Corpus Christi, Little Rock, Springdale, Arkansas. Well, will you guys actually go out and install, or do you just sell the product and your strategic partners install? Well, on those products, we actually let the mechanical contractors install the product. People like uh, TDI in Dallas, uh, Brandt Industries, some of the very large contractors in town. The bigger the job, the more complicated the job, the better we, we are. It's very difficult to sell a, a job that needs no design capability, needs no engineering, uh, because you have all kinds of little vendors around that have popped up from India, from China, from Korea, even, even our vendors here in the States. They're all less expensive than us, but they really don't offer the expertise that we do here in this market so you're pretty specialized. you got a very small niche. Yeah, we're a very small niche. At this point, we have about uh, 12 products, though, all accessory items. We have no major equipment, no air conditioners, no pumps. <clears throat> we sell flow control valves to limit the flow through the air conditioner coil. We have underlayment in our architectural uh, products. We have an underlayment that goes under f- floors in condos like the uh, Omni in Fort Worth, the Ritz-Carlton in Dallas, and and other big multi-story uh, hotels and condos. How's business been since 1978? Growing? Well, it's been up and down. <laughs> <laughs> I guess with any construction industry, that's the, that's, that's right. The you know, you cycle almost every seven years. Uh, so, but we're we're in a really for the last eight nine years now. The whole whole country has been on a uh, a uh, up curve, upswing. Sure. Well, uh, uh, let, let's jump back a little bit and okay. uh, uh, learn a bit, a little bit more about you and and your parents and where you came from. And uh, you said you're originally from New York, but with that accent, I suspect it might have been even before before then a little bit. Uh, no, it's always been the New, New York. York. Uh, no. Are are you uh, are your are people from across the pond? Yes, they are. Where where they come from? From Italy. Whereabouts? Like, uh, for Campania, which is kind of in central, um, about a third from the from the boot in Italy, up in the middle, just at the base of the mountains, is the area that my grandparents came from. My grandfather in 1896, um, my grandmother in 1914, and the other set of grandparents, um, same kind of same region. And uh, again, in the early 1900s, they came over. So my mom and 
dad were first generation and we are second generation. And you said New York. Was yes, it? Queens, New York, Queens. which is one of the five boroughs. And uh, what, what did your parents do? My mom was a housewife. Um, we had, uh, I have four brothers. She had five boys. God, she was naive when she uh, got married, but we taught her. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, And dad, he started out uh, as a partner in a, a gas station as a mechanic. Uh, he served in the Army during World War II uh, over in Italy by, by chance. And um, then he uh, came out, went to work with a partner for a gas station. And in uh, 1964, he and an uncle and two partners started a kitchen cabinet factory. And in the 60s and 70s, it became a very large company in New York. As a matter of fact, Brad, as I was telling you earlier, they were the largest user of Wilson Art Formica materials on Long Island. There was a little bit of construction going on back There then. was, yes. The Hamptons were really booming in the uh, in this late 60s, early 70s, and so was the rest of the island. I, you know, I've never thought, and I, I don't want to digress too much, but that must have been quite of an experience for your father to go back to Italy to fight with the United States during World War II. That's got to have caused a... Well, he had never been there before. <laughs> <laughs> and he spoke Italian, so yeah. it worked out well, for him. How interesting. I, that's, a, that's a whole other story in and of itself. Well, uh, so why didn't you go into the, into the cabinet-making business? I did as a kid. I mean, the summers I worked for him, and uh, then after high school, uh, I told you earlier, I went to college for a semester, thought electrical engineering was the thing I wanted to do, and decided it wasn't, didn't know what I wanted to do, so I went into the kitchen cabinet business with him for a while, and then decided that I really don't want to work with my father. Yeah. Uh, I- he, he was tough. And not that I couldn't take it, it's just I didn't want to work with him, and I had to show him I could do something on my own. Did you like the work, or was it just working with your dad? No, I I liked the work, and I kind of liked working with him, but I just didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So I I decided that I had taken drafting in high school. I decided that I'd go to a tech school for mechanical drafting and design, and I did that, graduated from there. Um, wound up wanting to move back to the city because my wife was still in the city in Queens. By this time, I was on the island. My senior year, we moved to Long Island. I went to an agency in Jamaica, New York, Jamaica, Queens, New York, and showed my last drawing, which was an exploded view of uh, an anti-vibration mount for an automobile, and uh, the guy says, I just put a guy at, to, at a company that makes these things. And the rest is history. I went for an interview. The chief engineer hired me. One day I said, Tony, why'd you hire me? He said, I liked your smile. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you, at the time you did that exploded view, did you even have a, a, a concept or a notion that you might get into that business? I didn't even know that business existed <laughs> till he said I, I I'm gonna I just put a fella at a company that makes these things. I mean, I had no idea that it was there, but uh, I was blessed because it was a fairly small company. 
uh, about six, seven years old, uh, three partners. Uh, Tony Sloter was the chief engineer. He's the one that hired me, and I was under his wing for the first four years. I worked in the engineering design department. After a year, I was running that department under his wing. So somebody would come up to me and ask me a question. I'd run to Tony. He'd tell me what to tell him. I'd go back and tell him. Great, great learning experience, one-on-one. And then uh, in about uh, 71, uh, 72 actually, I was offered a job as a sales manager, regional sales manager. Now I went from Tony to the two other partners, one being Norm Mason, who the company was named after, one of the, if not the most brilliant engineer I've ever, ever known, especially in this business. So I was lucky enough to work under Norm for six years or so directly. I mean, he looked at letters I wrote, uh, things I had to solve, and I traveled the country working with reps, hiring, training, writing specifications. Were there many companies doing what Mason did? There, there were at that time there were about four. But you got to remember, this is a small, this is a niche industry. So four companies at that time were a lot. We had a better product. We had great service. Norm was very much uh, the sales entrepreneur. Though he was an engineer, he wanted to make products better. And so the way he started is he wrote a specification. And he took it to acoustical consultants. Acoustical consultants are the guys that design the opera house, the interior of the opera houses, large conference rooms. Uh, that uh, set the precedent for the industry. And through the uh, years, he became number one in the world, basically, in this particular niche industry. We were, I was blessed to, to be uh, directly under him. Well, what were your brothers doing? Did they go into business with your dad, or did they branch one, out themselves? One brother did. Two others became police officers. My youngest brother followed me. Um, he actually, uh, when I started the company, well, let me back up a little bit. In 1978, I came home from a, a trip in probably February, and uh, my wife uh Said you need to. We need to talk. He says you're on the road 32 weeks a year, five days a week. He said we've got four kids, three that are under four. He says Stephen's in school, and I have to help him with his homework. I have to discipline him. You come home on the weekends, and you're a gift. You know, you play with them, you bring them presents, and then you're off again. And I've got to go through the routine, and I can't take it anymore. And you have to make a decision. Do you want to be a daddy and a husband, or do you want to be a sales manager? But you sure as hell can't be both. So I thought about it. Daddy, husband, sales manager, sex. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. So Monday morning, I walked in and quit. You hadn't given any thought about what you might do? No. No, I just knew uh, – I was a cocky little guy. I just knew that uh, I could make a living. How old know? were you at the time? I was 30. 30 with, at the with time. Four, four, four kids? Four kids and one in the oven. Wow. And, uh, and the uh, boss was uh, totally shocked. Don Mason was totally shocked because when I started out as a sales manager to three of us, I had the smallest territory and the uh, – and when I walked in and quit, I had doubled my territory, and the others were rec- were declining. 
said I was going to make you national sales manager, send you to Europe. I said, I'd really be divorced. Yeah. Gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. three or four months yeah. at a time, or three or four weeks yeah. at a time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, he wanted me to move to Philadelphia, and I told him if I left New York, that'd be for a better quality of life. He said, well, why don't you start your company, uh, become our rep, start your company in Detroit. I said, boy, this conversation's going downhill in a heartbeat, boy. <laughs> so uh, actually, uh, one Friday night, that, that week, Friday night, uh, he walks out of his office. It's about 6 o'clock on a Friday night with her alone. And he said, come here. He said, yeah. He said, I would like to move to Dallas, Texas. I said, Norman J., I'm a Yankee, I'm Italian, and I'm a Catholic boy. And three strikes, you're out in any ball game, especially down south. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, no. He said, I know you've been to Birmingham in 1968, but, but Dallas is nothing like Birmingham. It's very cosmopolitan. You need to go look. He says, I, I've got a meeting with a fellow I'm thinking about giving a line to on Tuesday. Why don't you fly there this weekend? And if you want it, you have it. If you don't, we'll give it to him. Now, I'd never been here. He says, so why don't you go look around and then make a decision? So Monday morning, I walked in. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, I made a decision. He says, you're not taking it? How could you not take it? You've never seen it. I said, no, I'll take it. He said, how could you take it? You've never seen it. I said, as long as I'm with Eileen and the kids, it doesn't matter. I'll succeed wherever I am. So I hopped on a plane that night to come down to see what this was all about because I didn't know anybody, didn't know the market. I didn't even know Fort Worth was 30 miles away at the time. <laughs> I mean, I was a naive New York boy that never came to Texas. So uh, we packed up the kids. We sold our house, packed up the kids, and moved down. You know, you didn't get too far from DFW, did you? No, no, no. no. <laughs> that was uh, – I almost moved to Plano. Um, but I had – from uh, San Antonio to the Oklahoma border, from uh, Louisiana to the New Mexico border, and Bedford was was kind of right in the center. It's like the hub on a wheel, you know, and the spokes were being built. Right. So I could be down in Austin or San Antonio or up in Oklahoma or, or to the Oklahoma border or out west or out east, it, it was kind of ideal. And so uh, with five kids, no one would rent us an apartment. So I wound up buying our five-year home, and we're in it 41 years now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you didn't get away from traveling too much, though. Was Eileen a little disappointed? No, I, I really, uh, to begin with, I couldn't travel a lot. My big area was Dallas-Fort Worth. So not knowing anyone, starting from scratch, trying to figure out who the players were and whatever, I had to spend a lot of time here. And then, and then as I, I had a little foothold here, I started to branch out more into the Austin area. East Texas didn't have much for us, and neither did Lubbock. But going down to San Antonio and Austin, that did have some work. Well, how much support were you getting from Mason? I mean, were you just like basically starting a brand new business here, or were they yeah. throwing you some? Support well, they were. Work? They gave me inventory, and um, not giving me. They, they fronted me inventory, and and then they fronted me some money that I could uh, pay back to them, and they they figured that it was a, a worthwhile investment, but it was 
not enough to raise five kids. I had to hustle my my tail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> caught myself. I, I bet. I bet that. So you weren't you weren't so to speak a, a branch of the no, Mason. No, this was your company. This yeah. was your deal. Mm-hmm. They were just there to kind of help give you supporting a uh, little little be a backstop a little bit for you to help you out to get yeah. you on your feet. Yeah. But you uh, either you sank or swim on your own. That that was it. In 1981, my brother moved down. And I had him go to Mason Industries and work for a year just to train and understand what we were doing and actually learn how to weld and work in a shop. And then when he came down in 81, we started a fab shop. So we're not really – we're a hybrid. We're not a a manufacturer's rep firm totally. We're also a manufacturer, and we're also a distributor because we have quite a large inventory here. Now, you opened – you actually opened your – facility in Euless? When no, you- I actually opened my facility in my bedroom in Bedford. You know, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of money, right? And uh, boy, the kids found me. I had four under five by this time. And boy, I asked my wife, where did all these kids come from? And <laughs> it's like giving up drinking, smoking, and sex all at once. I said, <laughs> I got to get out of here. So I uh, built a uh, pretty handy with uh, with building things because of my dad. So I uh, built an office in the garage. That lasts about three weeks. They found me, you know, <laughs> knocking at the door. Daddy, daddy, come out and play. I said, I can't. I have to work. So then uh, in um, August of 80, I moved into my first place outside the house. And that was right across from Texas Star in that business park. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I had 1,300 square feet office, warehouse, Richard, and a part-time secretary. And uh, then things started to grow from there once we started fabricating, and we wound up with the Meyerson and built a lot of product that went there. We uh, moved into 4,500 square feet at the next phase that uh, the uh, realtor, uh, DeBose, was building. So we were the first tenant to move into his uh, new place right in front of the match company. And then in 90, we bought the, Eileen and I bought the building on the other side of Hurricane Creek, um, which is 10,000 square feet, and we've been there ever since. And so 4,000 square feet of that is office, 6,000 is, is factory and warehouse. Well, you, you mentioned that your, your brother came down and, and started working for you. What uh, what prompted that? Did you, were y'all close? Did yes, he- when uh, he was my younger brother. So when I lived in New York, the last 10 years in New York, when we were married, I moved to Long Island. So I was uh, not but five blocks from my parents. So as he used to come over on his bicycle. As a matter of fact, when he was young, I'll, I'll skip that one. Uh, <laughs> but he came over on his bicycle, so we were really close. So uh, he kind of uh, – we – we just grew naturally. attached, you yeah. know. It just happened, and it's it's worked out well. Now you've got you tell me four sons, five. I have four sons four and sons a daughter and a daughter. And how many of them are involved mm-hmm. in the business? Well, these days there are two: um, Robert, who oversees all our strategic partners. Um, he's my little beaver boy. He. He can build dams like nobody. <laughs> uh, and uh, Stephen, who, uh, who's president, 
He's the oldest. So I got the youngest and the oldest, just like Richard and I, the youngest right. and the oldest. It's, I didn't think about that till just now. And um, then my granddaughter works for us now, and Richard's son is uh, running the shop. And I think that's enough family. Well, that's, that's I was going to ask. I, I'm working with my daughter, mm. and uh, working with family is a challenge, or at least it is, is for me. Uh, I love it. I love having her here, and uh, but you have that uh, dichotomy. Are you are you dad or are you boss? Are you you know? And I, it's 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 very new to me, and it's very very uh, challenging to some degree. Uh, have you found the same over the years? Oh, absolutely. I used to tell them that I wear three hats, and they got on. Un- they have to understand that I have three hats. One is the hat of the boss. Two is the head of the dad, and three is the head of the concierge. I said, now, when I'm in the office, I'm wearing only one of those two hats. You know, I'm not really the dad in the office. You're working for me, other employees, you're an employee at that point. Matter of fact, I had another son working for me, and at the time, he was uh, going through a pretty rough divorce, but it was affecting our business, and... uh, we had a talk, and I says, you know, it's obvious you're not happy here, and uh, you need to go find what makes you happy. Yeah. So we parted ways, I mean, because the company had to survive. That that came first. You can't screw up our best customer and, uh, and hope that uh, nothing's going to happen. And the truth is nothing will happen. You'll not get the next order. Exactly. You know? Exactly. You know um, – I, I truly love what I do for a living, and I don't think that you can be successful in any business. Uh, uh, even if you love it, you may not be successful, but if you don't love it, you can pretty much guarantee that you, you won't be successful. Uh, did you have a love for the business that you were in immediately? Did it grow over time? Do you still have that love? I mean, tell me a little bit about that. I'll tell you, I pretty much started to love it immediately. The first job I ever worked on with Mason to design, I designed the pump bases and pipe hangers on the World Trade Center. That was the very oh, wow. first job that I worked on with Mason Industries. And I just loved it from there. I mean, it, the, I never looked at a clock, never in my life. Having worked for my dad, you never look at a clock. And so, uh, you know, I'd walk out of there at 7, 8 o'clock some nights. But I really enjoyed it. And I could tell you today, I still enjoy it. And now what are we, uh, 50, 54 years later or something? And I'm still having a good time doing what I'm doing. Maybe not that many years. Well, what, what is your role in the company today? Uh, today, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like um, more of a consultant, okay? Like we have a trouble job now at a school in, in Fort Worth. But I say a trouble job, they're having vibration issues, vibration transmission. There are units sitting over a conference room and over classrooms, and they're vibrating to the point where it's disturbing, annoying the occupants. Sure. So on that kind of job, they still call me in, so... My brother Richard and I go out, meet with them. Then we come up with a a design to help resolve the issue. They're doing design work. They come in to me with questions. They have issues with with the shop, with inventory. You know, it's like anything else. Everybody needs a rabbi, you know? (laughs) So so I'm basically their rabbi. Um, And I watch cash flow. You know, that's still my – my brother is my partner, 
but I still have a vested interest in that company. <laughs> sure you do. Absolutely you do. Well, uh, uh, you're, you're, you're talking about the design and, and stuff. We were talking before we, we started the podcast uh, that you don't have a mechanical engineering or mechanical design degree, so to speak. Well, I, I, I've, I went through drafting and mechanical design, and I did graduate there. Mm-hmm. And then I went on when I got the job with Mason because I was working with the chief engineer. I went back to school for my engineering degree. But then when I uh, started traveling, I had to back off that. When I got to Texas, I had another problem. I enjoyed selling, enjoyed designing, enjoyed meeting people, but I didn't enjoy the business. You know, the having to worry about paying vendors, worrying about cash flow. And the truth is I didn't have much experience in that being a sales manager. Right. So I went back to school. And I took uh, took courses like uh, computer. I had to learn how to how to turn it on. For cripe's sakes, what is a CPU? I wanted to know, right? So uh, I took some classes in in computer and business, and then I went to uh, SMU and took an entrepreneurial class uh, at nights there, and uh, that was eye opening. You know, one of the things they uh, they opened my eyes about was. The uh, professor had asked a friend of his that worked for FedEx, he said, what is the largest item you've ever shipped overnight? And he said, a Black Hawk helicopter to the desert in Iran when they were going for the hostages years ago with Jimmy Carter was president. Right. He said, so what that means is that your competition can have a product in your market on the street in 48 hours from anywhere in the world. And that opened my eyes. And now, of course, we have the Koreans, the competition from India, from uh, Japan a little bit, from Canada, from the United States, of course, and China. And so everybody's trying to get a little piece of the pie, but they don't have the expertise at this point. And uh, the bigger, the more complicated the job, the better the better off we are. And the customer satisfaction yes. point of view. Yeah. You know, I tell people, I said that uh, everybody has problems, but it's not that, and I tell the boys, it's not that you have a problem, it's how quickly and efficiently you handle it. You don't want it to fester. So if you have no problems, you have no business. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I've I've been a lawyer now for uh, approximately 34, 35 years, and I always I don't know how I stayed in business, quite frankly, because I, I never saw it as a business. I saw it more as a oh, we're a lawyer. We're you know we're 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 not in business, and that is so not true. I think uh, to a large degree, lawyers have had it pretty easy because it was referral based for a long time. But now with more and more lawyers, with proliferation of social media, uh, with the advertising the way it is, uh, lawyers are becoming a commodity. And uh, that really opened my eyes several years ago because I'm a government major. I didn't know a thing about business, really, Phil. And uh, I started taking some courses and reading some some business books. And it just it opened my eyes about how, wow, this is this is a whole new thing. I look at myself now as an entrepreneur who happens to be in the legal business, not a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, uh, how did you learn about business? I mean, you obviously – got it somehow early on who was responsible for teaching you it was the school of hard knocks yes yeah. okay um 
in the early days of the business, I was out there pushing, trying to get specifications, trying to to help engineers lay out jobs, do design work, sell a job, design a job, ship the product. And so I, I'm looking, I'm fat, dumb, and happy doing my little thing. My wife, who was working with me, helping me part-time at the time, said to me, you know, we need more business. I said, what do you mean more business? We're, we're doing good. I'm working at good margins. You, you don't understand. We need more business. There's more cash going out than coming in. And uh, I didn't appreciate that at first. Then I got that hard a knock at the door, if you will, that says, hey, you're not going to be here if you don't pay attention to this side. So that's when I started to really get into the business end and, and tried to understand balance sheets and, and profit and loss statements and so on and so forth. So uh, it was, a, it was a, a learning experience, and I was able to jump in and do a lot of reading and books and trying to figure it out, and um, that was it. Then, then we were big enough where we could hire a, an accountant to help with that <laughs> end of it. Well, what about the, uh, the, the, from the aspect of how to grow the business uh, and, and how to target your business and develop a business plan? Did you learn that stuff when you were back with Mr. Mason and, and those guys? Or did you just come down here and starve to death and go, I got to figure something that's, out? Uh, that's basically what it was. I mean, I, I, being a sales manager, I dealt with these reps, so I knew a little bit about what they were going through. But I was never on the business end of their business either. You know, I was calling on engineers, architects, getting product spec, the same kind of thing I did here. And um, it was just your baptism by fire, you know. I was thrown into it. It was just a wake-up call one day and said, we're not going to be here. I knew how to to deal with people. I knew how to design. I knew how to handle product. I knew applications. I could solve problems. But what I couldn't do is accounting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and co- nor could I appreciate it really until I got here. And then it was learn, learn, survive, you know. Well, how long did uh, Eileen spend in the business with you? She was only part-time because we still had all the kids. Right. So she would come for a few hours a day until I said, I think it's time for you to retire. I, th- <laughs> I think that was about 10 years, maybe less. Well, you were fortunate that you had her uh- – you know, everybody brings something different to the table, and obviously, she brought something that woke you up a little bit to uh, yeah. that they get you to focus. Uh, she yelled a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's under a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. What's your What's your biggest takeaway from the years that you've had developing this business? Wow, uh, service. You know, service is the big thing. But but as you alluded to earlier, marketing has become a big thing. And that's the other thing I'm helping with now. You know, redoing the website, trying to uh, figure out ways to get our name, branding. Right now, I've, uh, I've put a, together a marketing plan using postcards and snail mail. And people say, why did you go with snail mail? I said, because everybody's using emails now, and nobody opens the damn things up. At least with a snail mail, if I've got nice color and it's a punchy card, they'll at least look at it, and then they can throw it away. I don't care. And I keep sending it to them and sending it to them and sending it to them, and after four or five times, there's anything in, uh, that the advertisers will tell you. They'll think, well, maybe I need this. You know, Maybe I should right. give them a call. So that's what I'm doing, and I've set up a program for like 15 months of different products. 
uh, and then keep repeating that every quarter. How, how do you uh, – who is your target or avatar, what I call an avatar? Well, who's your... we, have, we have different channels. We have mechanical contractors. They're our largest. We also have products that we haven't talked about. We're into seismic earthquake control to prevent piping and equipment from flying – either falling or flying out the building during the quake. So we have uh, uh, resilient snubbing systems and cables for that kind of thing. So we get in, into that in Arkansas. We get into acoustical isolation where we introduce suspended ceilings, spring-loaded ceilings, rubber-hung sp- ceilings to prevent energy from getting from a s- outside the room into the room. We have floating floors where we actually float concrete floors on isolators that are tuned to a particular frequency for TV studios. We've got some at Meyerson. Uh, we've got one at uh, Bass. Um, and we, we've got over uh, 400 of those around town. And then, uh, again, acoustical ceilings. Um, so those we sell basically to general contractors. And there we do, the, we do the design work, we sell the product, and we supervise. Every once in a while, like we're working on a couple of jobs where, where we're looking at doing the concrete and actually the installation, which we'll work with the subcontractor sure. on. We've got all these different... Uh, uh, channels. And then I have architects uh, for the floating floors and that. So I have to deal with them to get the design concept. But above them is the acoustical consultant. So we deal very heavily with acoustical consultants that are located here in town and down in Austin and in, in some of the other territories. They're probably our three biggest. Plumbers, we do some with. Electrical contractors, we do some with. As a matter of fact, the Meyerson the electrical room is floating on springs, a concrete spring floor there. So uh, that was interesting. And talk about the Meyerson. You remember Archie Bunker? The uh, Every time they flushed the toilet upstairs, they heard it throughout the right. house. Well, I get a call from the uh, contractor on the Meyerson that we need to isolate a commode on the second floor right outside the doors to the hall. And I'm saying, I never isolated the commode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what are you expecting to hear, an Archie Bunker? <laughs> you know, flush? So, uh, so anyway, we, uh, we figured out how to, how to isolate it. And uh, on a rubber pad, with uh, they wanted to bolt the rubber pad directly to the porcelain. I said, you can't do that. You'll break it. As soon as you start tightening down, rubber pad's going to give. Right, right. right. So I said we have to. We actually have to cut out a steel plate that matches the bottom of the of the bowl with a hole in it, of course, so the uh, stuff could go down. And then we put it on a rubber pad, and then you put the the a commode on top of that, right? So we get done with that, and I get a call from the plumber. He said, "You got to be one dumbass." I said, "What are you talking about?" He's saying this commode moves. <laughs> I said it has to move a little for it to be isolated sure. because it has to be resilient. It has to move. There has to be give and take. He said, well, he says, not in my business. In my business, you bolt things down hard, so we need to talk. So we have a meeting with the acoustical consultant, the architect, the, uh, the plumber, the uh, general contractor in the bathroom at the second floor of the Meyerson, Meyerson, right? And they're taking turns sitting on this commode (laughs) to see how much it rocks. (laughs) 
I mean, finally, the acoustician uh, said that, well, that's the way it has to be, you know. So at the dedication, uh, Mayor Strauss was uh, there. So I had the dedication. I'm listening on the radio. And all I keep thinking of is Archie Bunker. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, don't uh, flush. <laughs> yeah. But it went off without a hitch. You know? That's funny. There was no noise. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, uh, how much of your day is spent at, at the office or, or office-associated type activities? Probably I don't go Wednesdays. I try to play golf. There you go. Uh, but then I go in in the afternoon. I play early, so I probably put in thirty thirty five hours a week. You're, uh-huh. you're, you strike me as a guy who'll never retire. It seems that way. It seems that way. You have to have a reason to wake up in the morning. Yeah, and uh, you have to use your brain because the brain is much like a muscle. You know, apathy'll set in if you don't use it. Yeah, um, and. Uh, not that I have a big one, but I like using it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's better than the alternative. Yeah. That's, for, that's for darn sure. That's right. Well, uh, uh, what, what is uh, life hold for Phil and Eileen this moving forward? Do you want to travel? Do you want to just well, spend we time with grandkids? We, we can't travel much. Eileen is uh, – is, uh, she has issues. She's right. handicapped for, for – um, for the most part, uh, but grandkids, we spend, we have 14 grandkids and one great grandson and, um, he, the little guy lives with us. So I play with him every night and every morning. How old is he? He's uh, three and a half. Oh, wow. So we have a great time. And, uh, he, uh, he gives me the incentive to get out of bed in the morning, you know, not only to go to work, but to see him and have a good time. So I think it's mostly going to be family. Family. We're we're family oriented. We've always been. You know, people used to say to me, How do you have five kids? How can you afford it? I said you change your lifestyle. Eat at home, you don't go out, you don't go to the movies, you know, you just do what you have to do to survive. Yeah. So we get together for holidays and have a great time. My house is sanctuary. I tell them they're not fighting in my house. They leave their problems at the door, and then when they go home, they can pick them up as they're leaving. But so New York Italians having issues? I can't believe it. Nah, nah, nah. Well, uh, I guess I kind of want to conclude by saying, where do you see your business I don't mean just in the industry, but your your business. How do you how do you want what's your legacy? How how do you want to leave your business ultimately? Have you given that any thought? Well, I well, I want to leave it in good shape so the kids could take it over. Um, I I just want to live a life that uh, people could say that he was humble, he was good at what he does, uh, he was a good father, he was a good grandfather. Overall, he was a God fearing. Uh, uh, man, and uh, he lived. Uh, he lived as a good steward. Well, I can tell you, I've, I've had the pleasure to know you now for about four years. I think it is, and I think you have all of those attributes. And everybody <laughs> that I know that knows you thinks that you have those attributes. So oh, you're thank you. you're well on your way. Don't screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> be my luck. The last day, I'll, I'll screw it up, and I'll be in the oven <laughs> for eternity. <laughs> Phil, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to come over and visit with me today. I, I hope you've had as much fun as I've had getting to know you a little bit better. And I have. I have. It's uh, I, As you know, I fought this 
You know, I uh, really I know. didn't want to come. I, know. <laughs> I had to ply yeah. you with good whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, just like you, I love what I do. Uh, I enjoy it. It's, it's been a great life. Uh, we've been blessed to be here in Texas. It has been a great place to raise the kids, you know, kids uh, – Stevens and Aggie, I know that's going to hurt you. You get a rash. Don't worry about it. Uh, Robert is from UTA. He's at a UTA. I have another one that's um, that's graduate of um, now. It's uh, it's private. Boy, uh, I don't I'm know. Drawing I'm drawing a blank I, right this yeah, second. I'm, yeah, I'm getting old. Uh, DeVry. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah one that yeah. uh, graduated from DeVry. And the uh, two others have some college uh and uh, they're well on their way in their careers. One's a supervisor with American. The other's a supervisor with UPS. So they're happy, and uh, everything's going great. We've, we've truly, truly, truly been blessed. Well, you, mm. you, you certainly have, and uh, it, they've got a great matriarch in the family uh, to <laughs> run the business, successful business, for uh, as many years as you have. Coming down here just cold, never seen sight <laughs> of anything, bringing your family and, and all the kids and the one in the oven, as you said. Uh, I mean, it's just a, that, that's really an exciting time and a challenging time. I'm sure you, uh, you found it very challenging and trying. At, at times, uh, and I'm sure Eileen uh, was very instrumental in uh, keeping everything together for you. And, oh, absolutely! And uh, absolutely. allowed you to be the success that you've you've been. Yeah, yeah. She kicked me out every morning. Told me to go out and make money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absence makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> as long as I'm making money. Yeah, that's exactly right. We gotta kind of put some. Stuff. Yeah. But no, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I told everybody uh, at the start of this that. Uh, you are truly a, an interesting guy and a great entrepreneur, and I really do appreciate you being here today. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm Brad Parker, the attorney you want but hope you never need, and thanks for listening to another edition of Bark Talk, the musings of attorneys, entrepreneurs, and other interesting people. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at parkerlawfirm.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast outlet. See you next time.